0: Section 8 of Blackfeet Tales of Glacier National Park by James Willard Schultz. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 8 Old Man and the Woman. Having created the world, the animals, grass, trees, all life upon it, Old Man realized that by having men live by themselves and women by themselves, he had made a mistake. He saw that they should live together. The camps of the two sexes were far apart, the women were living here at the foot of the mountains in Cutbank Valley, and the men were away down on Two Medicine River. Each camp had a buffalo trap, and subsisted wholly upon the buffalo that were decoyed into it. As I have said, old man saw that he had made a mistake in keeping men and women apart. In fact he found that he himself wanted a woman, so he went to the men and said, You shall no longer live by yourselves. Come, we will go up to the camp of the women, and each of us get one of them." The men were more than glad to do that. It was what they had been hoping to do for a long time. So they hurried to put on their best clothes and neatly braided their hair, and then started off with Old Man for the women's camp. When they came in sight of it, Old Man told them to stop right there, and he would go ahead and plan with the women just what should be done. They sat down, and he went on to the women's camp. Himself he had on his old soiled clothes his fine clothes he had left back with the men. Arrived in the camp he found only two or three women there. The woman chief and all the others were down at the buffalo trap, butchering the animals that they had that morning decoyed into it. When he told the few women that he found, why he had come, he greatly excited and pleased them, and they started at once to run and tell the others to hurry up from the trap and meet the men. But wait, not so fast. I want a word with you. Old Man called out, and when they came back to him, he asked, What kind of a woman is your chief? Everything that is good and kind and brave, that is our chief, one answered. And another said, Aye, she is all that and more. She is the most beautiful woman of us all." This pleased old man. He said to himself, That is the woman for me. I must have her. And to the waiting women he said, It is right that chief woman should mate with chief man. You women are to come to us, and each select the man you want. Now tell your chief woman that the chief man is brave and kind and handsome, and that she shall select him for her man. She will know him by the way he is dressed. He wears buckskin shirt and leggings, embroidered with porcupine quills, and a cow-leather robe with a big porcupine quill embroidered sun in the center of it. You tell her to take him for her man." "'We will do so,' the women cried, and started off for the buffalo trap as fast as they could run old man hurried back to the waiting men and hurriedly put on his fine clothes, the ones that he had described to the women. Trembling with excitement and out of breath from their long swift run, old man's messengers arrived at the buffalo trap and told their wonderful news that men had come to marry them, that each woman was to choose the man that she thought would best suit her. The butchering of the animals ceased at once, and the women started for their camp to put on their good clothes and re-comb their hair. They wanted to appear as neat and clean and well-dressed as possible before the men. Yes, all ran for their camp—all except the chief woman. Said she, I cannot leave here until I finish skinning this spotted medicine calf. Go, all of you, and I will join you as soon as I can. The work took more time than she thought would be required, and when she arrived in camp with the valuable skin, she found all the other women dressed and impatient to go and choose their men. "'Oh, well, it doesn't matter how I look,' she said. "'I am chief. I have a name. I can go choose any man dressed just as I am.' "'How did you say the man chief is dressed?' They told her again what he wore, according to what the messenger man had told them, and she said, "'I'll choose him. Chief, I suppose, must mate with chief.' And so she went right on with the others, wearing her butchering dress, all stiff with blood and grease from the neck down, to the bottom of the skirt, and her moccasins were even more foul than the skirt. Her hands were caked with dried blood, and her hair was not even braided. Their chief leading, the women approached the waiting men, all of them standing in a line, and singing a song of greeting. Old man stood at the head of the line, very straight and proud, and of fine appearance in his beautiful new porcupine-embroidered clothes. By these the chief woman recognized him from afar, and said to herself, He is a fine-looking man. I hope that he will prove to be as good of heart as he is good to look at. And leading her women, she walked straight up to him and laid a hand on his arm. I will take you for my man, she told him. But old man shrank back, his face plainly showing his loathing of such a bloody and greasy wild haired woman. I take you for my man, the woman chief repeated, and then he broke away from her hold and ran behind his men. No, no, I do not want you, bloody greasy woman. He cried, and went still further off behind his men. The woman chief turned to her followers. "'Go back, go back to that little hill, and there wait for me,' she told them. And to the men she said, "'Remain where you are until I return. I shall not be gone long.' And with that she turned and hurried to her camp. Her women went to the hill, the men remained where they were. Down at her camp the chief woman took off her old clothes and bathed in the river. Then she put on her fine clothes, a pair of new moccasins, braided her hair, scented herself with sweet grass, and returned to her women. She was now better dressed than any of them, and they had told old man the truth when they said that she was beautiful of face and form. She was the most beautiful woman of them all again she led her women to the line of waiting men again old man stood first stood at the head of them but she passed him by as though she did not see him and he with a little cry ran after her took her by the arm and said you are the woman for me i am the chief of the men you must take me she turned upon him and her eyes were like fire she tore his hand from her arm and cried never touch me again, good-for-nothing, proud and useless man. I would die before I would mate with you. And to her women she said, Do not any of you take him for your man? And with that she turned and chose a man. The others then, one by one, took their choice of the men. When all had chosen, there was one woman who had no man. All had been taken except old man." She would not have him, and became the second wife of one of the men. The choosing over all started for the women's camp. Old Man, now very sad-hearted, was for following them, but the chief woman turned and motioned him off. "'Go away! There is no food for you, no place for you in our camp,' she told him, and he went away, crying by himself. And that is what old man got for being so proud. July 30. We break camp and move northward to-morrow. For the past two days some of us have been riding about on this backbone of the world, as the Blackfeet call the Rocky Mountains, and we have ridden our horses where, in former times, nothing but a bird could go. The park supervisor and his engineers and miners and sappers have blasted out trails over the highest part of the range, making it easy and safe for Tenderfeet tourists to view the wonders of this subarctic, greater greater-than-alpine range of mountains. One of the most impressive views is from the summit of the trail from upper to Medicine Lake to Cutbank River. The Dry Fork Trail, it is called. At its extreme height the trail is along a mountain crest, about thirty feet in width. Mr. L. W. Hill graphically described the stretch the other day, when, after crossing it, he said, On its east side one can spit straight down three thousand feet into a lake, and on the other side cast a stone that will go down much farther than that. Indeed, the view of the mountains and cliffs and canyons from that height is so grand, so stupendous and impressive, that one cannot find words to describe it all. On another day we went over Cutbank Pass and down the west side of the range, far enough to get a good view of the Pompeli Glacier and see the huge ice blocks break from it and drop from a cliff more than two thousand feet in height. They strike the bottom of the canyon with a reverberating crash that can be heard for miles. Just below this glacier, down Nyack Creek three or four miles, is a fine alkaline spring and clay-bed, where in other days old tail-feathers coming over the hill and I were wont to go for bighorn, goats, deer, and elk. All these animals came to it in great numbers and drank the waters, and ate great wads of the salty mud. We once killed a large grizzly there, whose late autumn coat was as black as that of a black bear. This afternoon we have had further talk about the naming of these mountains. For a wonder the topographers have not taken away the original name for the outer mountain on the north side of this cut bank valley. We find on the map that it is still White Calf Mountain. It was named for one of the greatest chiefs the Montana Blackfeet ever had. As a young man, fresh from his first war trail, he witnessed the signing of the treaty between his people and the representatives of the United States at the mouth of the Judith River in 1855, so he must have been born in 1836 or 1837. As a warrior, his rise to fame was rapid, and many are the stories told of his indomitable bravery in facing the enemy. In later years, because of his great interest in the welfare of his people, he became their head chief. He died in Washington in 1903, while there on tribal business. The right names of the other mountains walling in this valley are as follows. The unnamed mountain, next west from White Calf Mountain, is Oksapaki, generous woman. Mount James is Aukhautamakan, double runner. Mount Vorhis is Taitna, wonderful chief. The west one of the Twin Buttes is Little Plume. The east one is Onishtakamakan, wonderful runner. And as I have said, the outer mountain on the south side of the valley is Muxina, angry woman all but the last one are named for old-time great chiefs and warriors of my people and we intend that they shall be so named on the official maps even if we have to petition the house of representatives and the senate in washington to make the change and you my readers lovers of these grandest mountains of our country will you not be with us in this perfectly proper request said takes gun ahead to me this afternoon who are these white men, James and Voorhees, for whom the mountains were named? Were they great warriors, or presidents, or wise men? I had to confess that I had never heard of them. Huh! he exclaimed, and huh! all the others, even the women, echoed. End of section 8